uh, tell you this morning that, that I want to talk about something that's really important, and that is that um, everything about Jesus' life, in my opinion, was a scandal. Now, before you throw stuff at me, I want you to listen to me for a second. His life was scandalous. I mean, his mother claimed to be a virgin, never been with a man, and said a Holy Spirit impregnated her, and she gave birth to a son. I mean, think about it. Scandalous. We, we also think about, you know, Jesus as he, as he uh, walked in life and went from town to town and, and he performed signs, as John calls them in his gospel, or miracles. And he said it wasn't the things of the earth that did it, but, but of heaven. A scandal. You know, there, there, there's other things that we find out about his life that, that bring scandal too. One, one day he heard that his friend Lazarus was dead. A couple of days in the tomb, you know, kind of body starting to decay and, and all that stuff. Back then, they didn't have embalmers. They just kind of buried you with spices if that was possible. And Jesus comes, and he stands in front of his friend's tomb, and he cries out, Lazarus, get up. And it says that Lazarus, in his grave clothes, comes walking out of the tomb. It's like a mummy movie. And Jesus brings him to life. I mean, scandal, people are talking. Then there's a time that, that he's walking into a town and there's a man who is possessed by multiple demons and Jesus begins to cast them out and, and he sends them into the swine or the pigs in the town. And you would think Jesus would be a hero for doing that because this guy, as he was demon-possessed, was just railing down a lot of havoc upon people's lives. But they get mad at Jesus because the demons go into the pigs and the pigs run into the water and they drown and he ruins the business in infrastructure of that town. Scandal. Jesus' life was full of scandals. And I think his words were scandalous too. I mean, we, we hear some things that he says and it's just like, really? It doesn't make any sense. Here's one of the things he said. He said, unless you hate your father, unless you hate your mother, you've, unless you hate your wife or your children, your brothers, your sisters, your husband, yes, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Jesus is about love, and he's talking about hating people. You have to hate everybody to follow him. And then here's another one that he said that's really scandalous. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Ha, really? I mean, last time I thought, most of us love to kind of ascribe to Hammurabi's code, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so, so he says these scandalous things, and it just gets us to that point where, where we're just not really sure about that. So, so here we see the actions of Jesus are scandalous, and then his words are scandalous. Now, now as these uh, religious leaders were, were listening to Jesus and the things that he was saying, they kind of cut him some slack. You know, he was teaching uh, the, the Old Testament. He was talking about the prophets. All of that was fine. They weren't too crazy that his followers were pretty big. But then all of a sudden, he started saying some things that just weren't very copacetic. He started making some pretty bold statements. So it was his words that really got him in trouble. And some of these words that he said, two words in particular, when he said these two words, those religious leaders and everyone out to get Jesus were there picking up stones ready to stone him to death. The two words were, I am. And I am is more than just a statement. It's a, it's a proclamation of a name. It's the name of God. And Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am life. He's saying all these things. I am the way. I am the vine. And he says, I am bread. I am. Let's go back to the Moses story. Moses 
Hebrew, brought into the home of Pharaoh, raised up as an Egyptian king, finds out that his true calling is to go back to his Hebrew roots and to free the Hebrew people from the slavery of Pharaoh. And God calls Moses and he says, I want you to be the guy. You're him. Go free my people. And, and the Bible tells us that Moses, by the power of God, brings plagues upon Egypt and plague upon plague. And Pharaoh is unrelenting. He will not let the people go until finally the plague of the last one, which was the plague of the death of the firstborn in Egypt. But Moses, as he's answering that call, he, he's there in the desert and he sees this, this great fire, this light coming from the mountain and, and he climbs to the top of the mountain and he sees this huge bush that is just covered in flames. But it's not being consumed. You ever lit a, a plant and, and just like a Christmas tree after a while, you, after Christmas and just like whoosh, makes a huge fire, but yet it just crisps it. But Moses is looking at this bush and it's not consuming it, but it's this bright fire, this flame. And he's approaching and, and he hears this voice, Moses, Moses. And he walks to it. It's the voice of God. And God says, take off your shoes, your sandals, Moses, because you're standing on holy ground. And Moses removes his sandals. And Moses says, who are you? God says, I am the sacred name of God. For three or four centuries before Jesus' birth, we, we read in the scriptures and we know that through tradition that it was unforgivable to speak the name of God. In fact, the Hebrews would not even speak the name of God. They would just not even pronounce it at all. And God's name translated in, in, in Hebrew of our words today is Yahweh. But then it was the unspeakable name, Hashem. And you could not even say it for fear that you would be stricken. And Jesus there in front of religious leaders, in front of other people, proclaiming, I am. And you can imagine how the, the people who knew religion were upset. He's blaspheming. He's saying he's God. And Jesus proclaimed the words, I am to these leaders. John 6 is the chapter where, we're, where we are this morning. And, and, and in this chapter, the name of Jesus is the bread of life. And bread, the bread of life is so important. Jesus um, is, is talking about he's the bread. And, and, and even in the story of his life, he's saying some bizarre things, really scandalous things. He's telling his disciples to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. I mean, today we'd look at that and say, like, is this like a zombie movie or vampire movie or something? I mean, what's he saying? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And people were appalled by that. It was a scandal. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. People were leaving Jesus right and left, and they were running in different directions. There was no way that they were going to partake in something called cannibalism, which was totally unclean to the Hebrew law. And yet Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's walking, and as everywhere he's going, crowds of people are following him. Crowds followed Jesus, didn't they? 
Jesus was like the rock star of his day, and people were following him. They were listening to what he said. He was uh, performing signs, miracles. He was healing. He was casting out demons. He was bringing life to people. He was giving them new opportunities, new chances. He was proclaiming uh, stories. He was helping people to understand what God's word really said in a language that they could understand. So crowds of people followed him, and one day it was getting really late, and they gathered, up, gathered on a on mountainside or a hillside, and it said that there were 5,000 men that were there, and you've heard me say this before. There's 5,000 men, and there had to be women. There had to be kids. How would the men have ever found the directions to get there if there were no women there, right? So there's about 20,000 people on this place, this hill of the sermon of the five, the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus is looking out there. It's late in the day, and they're getting hungry. They're getting famished. And all of a sudden, one of the disciples says, there's a little boy who's willing to help us out. He has... Five loaves and two small sardines. Now, loaf would not be like you'd get down at Subway or one of those things. Uh, it, it was like a small dinner roll and two small sardines. And Jesus says to the disciples, you feed them. He commands them to feed them. And what does it say? That they had enough food that everyone there got enough to eat, were satisfied, and they collected 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now, folks, you know, the scholars look at that and say, that's the miracle. It was the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And I say, but there was a second miracle. There were 5,000 men eating to their fulfillment, and there were still leftovers. And a miracle happened, and some huge things came to be. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he becomes tired. And, and we see all through his ministry, it was, kind of a, it was kind of an engage and withdraw, engage and withdraw. Go reconnect, recharge, engage, withdraw, reconnect, recharge. So it says that he goes off to the top of the mountain and he doesn't follow his disciples. And his disciples get in a boat and they go on out into the, into the sea. And as they're out there uh, through the night, there's uh, some turbulence that comes and, and their boat is rocked back and forth and they become really scared. And, and John wants us to know something significant happens. First of all, he says that the people knew that Jesus was not in the boat with the disciples but then he says something miraculous happens, that the disciples are scared, and Jesus comes to them walking on water. And John specifically puts that in there because then the people see Jesus in the boat with the disciples, and why does he tell us all that? Because another miracle or sign has happened. Scandal, the buzz, people talking about it. How did he do that? Was it some sort of sorcery, magic trick? Was it, was it really a miracle? And Jesus is there. People are seeking him out. They're seeking him out because they say he's the prophet. He's the one that we've been hearing about. And he's the one we must follow. He is God's chosen. He is God's prophet on earth. And God has brought his fulfillment into this life of Jesus. And Jesus heard these rumors. He heard these stories. And he said, there's no way that I'm going to allow you to make me your king. Because all the reason you want to make me your king is because I gave you bread to eat to fill your stomach. And my kingdom is much more than that. And we begin to see a movement that happens Jesus didn't want a shallow allegiance based upon the fact that he had put bread in their stomachs. He wanted them to do something more than that. And that's why this text today is just as challenging with us today as it was in the first century. But here's the bottom line. Jesus wanted their hearts, not their allegiance, not to follow him for what he could do for them, but what he would be 
instead. At some point, the people had to be thinking, let's follow him. He gives us things. And that's kind of how life is today, isn't it? We, we gravitate toward different leaders. Why? Because they promise us stuff. I will do this. I won't do that. I will take care of this. I won't touch that. And depending upon what leaders say and what leaders do, we gravitate and we pit ourselves against each other. We form camps of people based upon the kinds of things that we want. And if that leader is going to give me what I want, guess what? I'm going to follow that leader. And the minute that leader doesn't give me what I want, guess what? I'm not going to follow that leader. Human nature. And that's the way it is in, in our churches, too. That if our pastors do what we want, if our pastors give us what we want, if our pastors will just roll over and, and just whatever, let us have our way, then we'll follow them. But the moment pastors start teaching gospel, the moment pastors start teaching scripture, the moment pastors start pushing a little bit harder to bring the kingdom of God into the realm and stir stuff up a little bit so we don't become complacent, guess what? It's happening all across North America. Our churches are becoming empty. We don't want to follow. We'll only follow if I receive what I ask for or the things that I want. That's kind of what we see here. John writes, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. So not only do we do that with each other, we do that with God. We, we bargain with God. God, if you will give me this, then I promise to do that. I have a friend, like you probably have a friend, who says, God, if you will let me win the lotto, I promise to do this. You ever heard anybody say that? God, if you will just give me this in my life, God, if you will just do that, God, if you will just save me from that pain, God, if you will just rescue me of this, God, if you will just cure me of that, then I will do this, but God, you've got to do it first. That's exactly the same thing that Jesus was running into. As long as he was gonna give them what they wanted, they were willing to follow. But the minute things didn't work out the way that they wanted, they weren't so sure they would follow. And life began to change and become a little bit more difficult. People seek God so they can get what they want. And when it doesn't happen, what do we do? We withdraw. Maybe you've had a painful time in your faith journey. And maybe you have convinced yourself that if I just follow if I just follow God, then, then life is just supposed to be perfect and nothing's supposed to happen that's wrong or I'm not supposed to have an illness or I'm exempt from this and that. And all of a sudden, those bumpiness, the bumpiness of life comes along and you become a little disenchanted and all of a sudden, you don't want to follow anymore. Jesus ran into the same thing. In fact, he got to a point where, where he said to, to the folks that were gathered there, he said, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And then listen to what he says, which the Son of Man will give you. The Son of Man will give you food that doesn't spoil, food that leads to eternal life. He specifically, he very specifically says, I will give you this. And on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus says that I, the Son of Man, will give this all to you, but what happens? The people start asking for a sign. 
Here's what it says. Then they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? I mean, guys, think about this. These are the same people that were part of the feeding of the 5,000. They had their stomachs filled to the maximum. They saw that. They saw Jesus walk on water. They've been seeing the miracles, and now all of a sudden they're saying, okay, well, well what sign are you going to give us? Will you do a miracle so that we can follow you and believe you? And we find ourselves in those desperate situations, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never go hungry, and if you believe in me, you will never be thirsty. So he uses an object lesson. He uses a loaf of bread. Bread was something significant in the ancient world. It's significant in lots of parts of the world today. Without bread in the ancient world, one could not survive. In fact, it was like a daily bread, so to speak, a piece of bread that kept you living in the ancient world. And in many parts of the world today, it's the same thing. It's a piece of bread. And Jesus takes that bread and he says that, that look at this. This is what you need to survive. This is what will keep you alive here on earth. But I'm spiritual bread. I'm the bread of life, the life yet to come, the life that's everlasting, the life that will not stop or quit. And he makes this solemn promise to them, and he says, I am the bread. You know, I love it when, when people talk about going on cruises. What's the reason why people go on a cruise? We get to eat 24-7. That's why cruise ships started putting those 24-hour uh, pizza parlors on deck, right? Because people were like, there's no food between 11.55 and 11.56. We want pizza. I had a guy tell me one time, you know, when you go on a cruise, you go on as a passenger. When you get off a cruise, you leave as cargo. I mean, <laughs> so Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and bread is important. God is the bread of life. I am. And when he said, I am bread of life, he's reminding them of the story of the Passover, the Jewish meal, where God's people were saved quickly. And at the Passover meal, they eat lamb, they eat bread, and they drink wine. And the time came when Moses said, when that final plague was released, it's time for us to now leave and go in and follow God into the promised land. They left with unleavened bread. They left so quickly they couldn't even put any yeast to make it rise. And every year when the Hebrew, our Hebrew friends celebrate the Passover, they're reminded of God's great deliverance. We're reminded of that same deliverance through this meal, through Holy Communion. We eat bread, we drink from the cup, and Jesus Christ is the lamb and the significance of coming to the table. And just as the Hebrews, uh, the spirit of God was uh, smoke by day and fire by night, followed them through all the wilderness, through all their travails, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God follows us. It follows you and me. And when we come to this table, we experience that presence, the real presence of God. Jesus speaking, he said, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's from my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
Here's the challenge. We fill our lives with so many things. We fill our lives with our careers. We fill our lives with our children. We fill our lives with our spouses, our loved ones. We fill our lives with, with all the things that are around that. And, and at the end of the day, the question still holds true that Jesus asks even today, who is your God? Or more importantly, what is your God? So this meal is, is helping us to recognize that broken in our sin, we approach God's throne of grace. And in this bread, as it is broken, it symbolizes also not just the brokenness of Christ for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, but it reminds you and me that we're broken. And that in our brokenness, when we eat the bread, that we are called to go into the world, redeemed in Christ, into the world, sharing the bread of life with others. And the significant impact that will make. Folks, we come to the table, we meet Christ, we eat bread, we drink from the cup. His real presence is here and we are exactly what we eat. Let's